We're on a mission. We're going to find and uncover the smartest, most successful entrepreneurs on the planet, explore their highs, their lows, and how they ultimately mastered the game. I'm Martin Cook, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Smarter Destiny podcast. I'm grateful for you and your time. Now let's level up together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Smart Destiny podcast, where this time we are joined by my friend, Raswan Latayski, CEO and founder of Vanga AI and Checkout X. This man has bootstrapped his business to over 10 million in revenue at a really, really healthy profit margin, by the way, because it's a software business and software businesses sell pixels. And I love it. And I speak a lot about that on other shows. Millionaire at age 24, built his first website age 10. And uh, he was processing $600 million in revenue just a couple of years ago. So that's pretty cool, folks. Really cool. And this guy is an expert when it comes to upsells what to do right, what to do not to do wrong, as well as the cumulative effect that you have on your business. And he lovingly and jokingly says that he helps e-commerce buy Lambos. And that's an actual true story. He has actually done that with his softwares and brands. So I think without further ado, let's welcome him to the stage. Raswan, how's it going? Nice to meet you, man. Thanks a lot for giving me the opportunity to talk about themselves. Um, I'm excited for it. Um, and I think everybody in the audience is excited as, uh, to learn how they can make more money by doing, you know, not a lot different, right? Just adding in an extra step into the the, the checkout process, um, how they can make a lot more money in the cumulative effect. So first things first, whereabouts are you in the world, Raswan? Yeah, I'm in Sofia, Bulgaria. For Yeah, I think everybody knows where Sofia, Bulgaria is, so I'm not going to... Uh, Funny thing, Bulgaria is like very often people ask us where Bulgaria is, but I'm not gonna be a bigot and not gonna tell you. So you can Google it. Uh, <laughs> you can Google it. Look it up. There's maps online, folks. You can you yeah. can find out where Bulgaria is, and it says Sofia. I've been there myself. It is a lovely place, which has uh, both cities and mountains, and I believe you said ocean. Um, although I didn't visit that because it was cold, and uh, and great food. It's well worth a, a visit, folks. So the way we like to kick things off on this show is we like to go back. We like to go back to some sort of point in your past where you became an entrepreneur or you you got the, the itch, the bug to become an entrepreneur. There's normally a story in there. So if you've got a story in mind, could you take us back to that time and tell us all about it? Well, for me, I don't think it was a specific point of time. Um, and since I'm a tech guy, for me, actually, when I was growing up, I always wanted to have my own project. So I didn't want to build a business, but I was really interested in making my own things. So like I had my own World of Warcraft server or I had my own uh, torrent tracker, like all these funny things you do when you're a kid. And uh, with time, I, I just wanted to do, I don't know, just wanted to have something that I create myself and people use it. And then with time, I started I, to want to make money actually. Uh, so this is how I came up with uh, wanting to build a business. So that's pretty much the reason why I've been building stuff since I can remember, uh, this is how I, why I started my first company when I was 18. And this is why I started uh, my current company as well. I just wanted to have my own things and kind of build something that's very useful and people over the world use it and yeah, and makes money, hopefully. 
Was there a story behind why you built your first website age 10? I mean, you know, at age 10, people are sort of, they're in their Lego phase, perhaps. Uh, you know, for me, I was certainly in a Lego phase. Yo-yos, Furbies, like, I'm showing my age a little bit, maybe some computer games of some sort. Um, I did actually build a website when I was 14, but 10, I mean, you got four years on me. Um, what was it that sort of prompted you to, to start doing that at, that at such a young age? So the thing is, I always had a computer at my house uh, since my father is an engineer. Um, so my Lego was actually disassembling and assembling a computer when I was younger than that. And I remember around this time, my, my father actually installed the internet connection because it, before that, I, we didn't have it. And since day one, I, was, I really wanted to, to know how to make websites. I don't know. I just wanted to do it. And... Yeah, I found a, a website that had like a web builder and um, it was actually a, a fan, fan site of Liverpool Football Club. So, yeah. and they finally got a title two years ago. So like, I've been waiting yeah. for a long time. Uh, but yeah, this was kind of the, the story behind it. I just really wanted to learn how to make websites. Nice. My brother's a big fan of Liverpool and they almost didn't get that title. Thank you, pandemic, but uh, they did in the end, right? Uh, so uh, that, that's a, that's a super cool story. So that, I mean, that was age 10 and I'm sure, you know, there's, there's, there's things that happened, but like bringing it a little bit more recent, maybe a couple of years before checkout X or somewhere, somewhere around that time, what other kind of projects and, uh, and, and notable things have you, have you worked on in your past that have helped uh, mold you into the entrepreneur that you are today? Yeah. So, I started doing web design uh, in high school, and when I when I finished high school, I moved on to live in Paris to to work for a couple of startups. So I worked for a, almost a unicorn uh, company as a designer. Then I worked as the head of design of a really cool company called Cactus. Shout out if somebody from France is uh, listening to it. And um, basically, I've been building a lot of tech, and I had the opportunity to work with some amazing people how to build world-class projects which for me was like when you come when you grow up in Bulgaria like you you look at the west and you kind of think about how they do it and, and stuff and for me it was the first time I came I went to a place and a company that was really trying to conquer the world um, and yeah I got to be a, a part of that so that was that was what I was doing. And then one of my colleagues in Cactus started, he discovered dropshipping. He started making his salary in a day. Uh, so I was like, okay, I need to learn e-commerce and how these things work because I love my job. I really like to make some money. And uh, this is how I started doing like the most basic thing that Actually, I think it was a great starting point for many e-commerce entrepreneurs, just like dropshipping um, and stuff. And this is how I, I was doing, like I did a store that was doing six figures a month at some point. So that was, that was huge for me. And then the thing was, it's not that I was bad at it, but I, I realized that I'm not world-class, right? And uh, there was guys that were just crushing it and I figured I'm actually really good at making software and I like making software. And uh, I figured, okay, why not help the best guys and some other guys that are just starting out, uh, get better results and try to compete with them where I can help them more and we can have this kind of cumulative value and uh, like work together. 
um, instead of just trying to do the same thing that everybody else is doing. And this is how I started my kind of Shopify uh, apps career and business. Beautiful. And and so we're talking about Checkout X here, um, which was which was the business that we were discussing off air. And you said that you processed um, 600 million dollars a year through that app at um at one stage and which is which is a real testament to not only your app but the the power of upsells and and the importance of upsells so i mean let's get i, mean, I, th- I think everybody listening knows what an upsell is but just just in case um there's any uh, gaps in the knowledge and so we're all talking the same page uh, for those listening upsells is uh it, it describes an offer that is presented to your customer after they have purchased the thing that they've added to their cart and, 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 and wanted to purchase, right? So they've got into your site, they've, built a, they've bought a widget, they've put in their payment details, their contact information, delivery information, and so on. And now where you would normally see the thank you page, instead they're, they're shown some kind of one-time offer. Um, an offer which is typically a nice discount. They're not going to see it anywhere else. And with one click, normally they can add that into their order and they don't have to enter their, their checkout details again. And they can then add other upsells. Uh, you know, other things might be presented to them after that, other, potentially downsells. And, and sometimes, depending on how sophisticated you get, um, you know, they, they, they could go on a heck of a, a journey before they actually finally see that thank you page. But as a result, um, you, you've already got the customer in the bag. You're not interrupting their checkout experience. So you're not affecting your conversion rate. But every single person that takes an upsell is, is it's new money, right? It's, it's additional money that you wouldn't have got and it, uh, as a nice bonus. So now that we're all on the same page um, with upsells, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the things you saw that were done right in the upsell space and some of the things that, um, you know, kept you up at night, they were done so bad? Yeah, I think the worst thing you can do is not not upsell your customers. When you think about, so I take a lot of inspiration from retail commerce because this has been like proven a lot uh, and like had way more years. It's like when you go to a, a decent store, they would, when you go on the cashier, they would always ask you to get something else. And it goes with cons- like consumer psychology is that somebody goes with an idea they want to buy something and they like a product. Um, but when you buy this product, like usually, especially if it's a bigger uh, purchase, usually there's a lot of additional value that you can get with the product if you buy a, an accessory or something like that. But the customer is focused on getting what they want, right? Um, so it's very important to actually try to, to upsell your customers and just ask in a non-disruptive way. Uh, it's like one of my the biggest... Uh, things I tell myself when I'm afraid to ask something is like, if Internet Explorer can ask you to be your um, like default browser, you can ask anything, anyone, right? So when it comes to ourselves, like you can ask the customer, do they need this? And there's great examples of um, like just a small item or something like that. Uh, but in terms of what not to do first, make sure you, you ask your customers. And the biggest mistake you can do Besides that is to do it in a disruptive way uh, before the customer has made uh, the decision to purchase. So it's very important that first the customer has decided to buy the main product and then you can give them an additional thing, right? So you need to make sure that uh, they've taken the decision they want 
this thing. And then if they if they're committed, they're excited, then you can tell them, okay, this is great, but it's gonna be even better if you get X, Y, or Z. So this is kind of the, the biggest mistakes I've seen. Um, and then the other thing is try to be relevant. Um, like people are buying a specific product, they wanna get, they're focused on that product and they're excited about that product. So make, make sure you make their experience better uh, by offering them uh, something else. I think that's a good uh, good point to to mention there. So when we're when we're dealing with upsells, and you know you're the upsell expert here, right? Like you you, you don't you don't process that kind of uh, kind of money by accident. What for for people thinking right? Okay, what can I um, what can I add in as my upsell? What sort of price should that upsell be in comparison to the the the, the product that they've just purchased? Um, and what kind of uh, marketing wording, what kind of copy should should go along with that that upsell in terms of the the the, the mindset that that customer's in right now? Yeah. So first to clarify, uh, because people are gonna hate me for that. When we say upselling, we mean the general idea of added, like offering something more, uh, and then you can go into subcategories of upsells, which are like something that you would replace an item for a bigger item, or you could do a cross-sell that's like an additional, what I was talking about, it's like a supplementary product to the main product, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in our case with post-purchase upsells, we usually, and we, in our cases with our merchants, we usually do cross-sells because they, um, they work well. So what you can do, um, it's very, again, first, first thing is very important, the, the offer is relevant. Uh, usually, it needs to be uh, cheaper or significantly cheaper uh, than the original product. Uh, but yeah, so probably people are not going to spend more on the upsell than the, the what they already bought. Uh, but another big thing that saddens me is like many merchants say they don't have what to upsell. They don't have what to offer uh, and they reject the idea. But what we've seen works really well. If you don't have what to, like if you don't have a, no-brainer uh, product there's two three things you can do very well first one is you can offer the same product at a discount so like especially if it's apparel or if it's something that you might need to off it's a great idea that you give them a second at a, at a smaller price um, or if it doesn't like i've seen people crush it with like shower heads like they would sell three shower heads and people would buy three shower heads instead of one. I don't know why, but it's just on discount. So it, it works, it works really great. And the other thing you can do is you can figure out these kind of uh, non-tangible items that you can add. So one of one of them is like express shipping and this kind of stuff. This works really well. Uh, you can add uh, additional insurance. You can add uh, warranty. There's a lot of stuff, things you can do if you, if you're totally out of options. And one thing that I would recommend on the next level is like when you, especially if you have control over your product lineup is to think in terms of upselling as well. What kind of, how can you design your products to, to work well together and to actually improve the, the overall experience of the customer? Beautiful. Yeah. So the uh, more of the same, that, that was certainly the school of thought that I, I came from. Like, um, don't overthink it at first 
can you just sell the customer more of the same, even if it's something which they like, like you said, apparel, it might be, I mean, they obviously love whatever like t-shirt they're buying. It might be that they want to give that t-shirt like a, 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 another one of those t-shirt to their, to their, um, you know, their partner, their, their family members, their, they want to gift it somewhere. They want a second one in case theirs, um, gets, you know, gets damaged. There's a, there's a lot of reason that people have for, um, buying the same thing again, particularly when it's, when it's discounted. Um, and then yet yeah, going to, going down the sort of route of, does it complement the, 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 the product? Does it make the, the, the product they've just bought easier to use or, um, or, or, or more powerful and things like that. And then, yeah, like you said, the digital kind of options, again, selling pixels. I love it. Um, you know, the, the express shipping, the shipping insurance, uh, the warranties, things like that. There's a lot of ways, um, that you can add value to the customer's checkout experience, uh, through, through the use of upsells. And, um, you know, it's, it's really, really cool. And that's why you help e-commerce buy Lambos. Is there, is there something behind that story? Yeah, there is. So, the story goes like this. We, when I started Checkout X, one of the first customers I had. So Checkout X, it's not an ad because we cannot onboard any more Shopify merchants, but basically it gives you an alternative checkout for your Shopify store and it increases conversion rates because it's one page and it's optimized and uh, it gives you the opportunity to do post-purchase upsells. So we had this customer from Germany, uh, Luca, shout out if he's uh, listening to this. Uh, so he came at around 100k a month so revenue something like that and he started using our checkout and using very heavily post-purchase upsells and he nailed it so well that in two months he scaled to over a million euros in in revenue and the reason why this happened was not only because the revenue boost that he got from the upsells but this allowed him to scale his ads many many times and he could literally scale 10 times his business in two months. It, it was insane. This is one of the best stories we've had. And we keep talking to this day. And he's a really great guy. He's a really smart guy. Um, but one of the funny things was, was a year later, he sends me a message uh, of a video of a Lamborghini. And he's, he told us basically that he bought this from the only from the upsell uh, revenue he got from, from our app. So this is why we joke, we, we help uh, merchants buy numbers. Nice. Nice. Um, so, cause, cause you've actually done it. Okay. So, so fast forward, you said checkout X is no longer on the, on the Shopify app store, Shopify changing their rules and all that, all that good stuff. Now your current project is Vanga AI. Could you tell us about, um, about that and, um, and also why it's called Vanga? All right. So when we got for Bidden forbade by Shopify, uh, it, it hit us because that was our main business, right? Um, and we also thought about our customers as well um, because they were using it a lot and it helped them scale a lot. Um, but at the same time, kind of what happened was the iOS 14 thing. So there, there's always hits from, from these kind of big companies that we with the smaller entrepreneurs, we need to figure our, our way around them. So we we wanted to keep going and we wanted to make something meaningful. And uh, with the rising CPMs and stuff, we really wanted to make so, make a solution that's gonna help them scale beyond uh, these, these challenges. 
So what we saw on Checkout X was the fact that the post-purchase upsells, uh, only this feature was responsible for over 10% of the all, all of the volume going through, through the app. Uh, so we figured, okay, upselling is really, really strong. And even though it was 10% of the, the GMV, not everybody was using it. Many people were not using post-purchase upsells. Many people were not doing upsells at all, or they would set up an upsell and they don't, they wouldn't pay attention to it. They wouldn't experiment. They wouldn't figure out how to make it better. So we thought, okay, we can increase the revenue of a store by over 10% just with the right offers. And we just wanted to make uh, a tool that's gonna do it for you. So we wanted to make the, the simplest thing that you just add it to your store and it constantly learns. And it's like, it constantly checks how your customer are behaving. It gives them offers and it learns from them. And it's basically 10 times better than hopefully in the future. Uh, it, it can be the disruption in upselling that uh, people are needing because they've been, I've, I've personally been doing upselling tools for a long time and it's still not as mainstream as I would like to. So we wanted to like reach uh, kind of uh, forward and try to figure out a disruptive way to do it. And we think AI is, is the way to do it. Just have something that constantly optimizes, constantly checks, it syncs with other stores and this kind of stuff. And basically is your upselling guru without, uh, without having to hire an upsell guru. Beautiful. And, uh, and Vanga, does that mean anything? Yeah, so we didn't have any idea how to code the app. And um, we at our company are very proud to be Eastern European and we have our own kind of unique culture. So we were constantly talking about the algorithm that is trying to predict um, what people are going to buy. And in Bulgaria, there's been this famous prophet called Vanga um, that used to be like the Bulgarian Nostradamus that used to predict a lot of stuff about the future. So we wanted to honor her and honor like all Bulgarians by just calling our algorithm Venga AI. And this is how we, we came up with the idea. Beautiful. So, uh, and that is on the app. So uh, that is on the Shopify app and people can uh, take advantage of that straight yeah, away. Vanga, Vanga AI. Yeah. And it's uh, right now it's free and it's always going to have a free freemium version. Uh, so people can, can use it. And the way we think about it, we only want to charge you if we, if we make you money, like this is something we are so confident that, and we know that we're going to make you money that we will let you use it. And if it's making you money, we'll just take a small portion of that. And that's kind of the, the, the vision for it. Perfect. All right. Well, check that out, folks. So at this point in the show, we like to mix it up. Reswan. We, we go into the rapid fire question round. I ask the questions quickly. You can answer at the speed of your choosing. Are you up for that? Yeah. You two thumbs up, up for that. There they are. All right. Question number one. If you ever had to start again, how would you make your money? I would definitely probably do some kind of software. Um, for me, product market fit is a two-way equation. So first I would find a good market. I would find a, a topic or like something that is hot and is growing like crazy. And then I would try to get involved with it, try to figure out what I can do to improve it and make a software for it. 
Beautiful. What's the most common or biggest mistake leaders make? I don't know. <laughs> like there's maybe they don't pay attention to their stuff or they get forgotten in, in their success. I think that's that's the, the one. Like you, it, when you win, it's very easy to, to forget that you can lose as well and you can get uh, uh, delusional about how, how easy it is uh, to do things. Who who springs to your mind when when someone says a great leader? Who is a great leader, whether alive or dead, and why? Hmm. I don't want to say someone that's a cliche, uh, but I would like to celebrate actually all the the audience and all the small leaders because we like. Maybe you lead ten people, uh, but actually, that's way more impactful than um, than the big names in a way. So I try to tell myself that when I, when I forget it. So I think the listener probably is a great leader, and they need to acknowledge it. I think that's a great answer. So um, you've obviously got people working for you. How do you hire top talent? So. The best way is to referral. We've tried different things. Um, I think the best way to know if someone is great is to work with them or to have someone that has worked with them. So the best hires we've had was either meeting someone on a on an event and, and bonding or asking your employees, which are like the three best people. You know, this is what we did when we were hiring great developers. We asked our, our existing coders, which are the best developers you had worked with and um, they told us the names and we started like taking taking them out on dates and basically try to convince them and we got really great people but what's very important is especially for strategic things like you cannot hire for today the hiring starts maybe half a year one year one year before like all the great people I've had, uh, I got on the team, I, I talked to them, I knew them from before, or at least half a year before and we started making a relationship because great people don't, they don't apply for jobs. They, when they decide to make a change, they already know where they want to move. So if you want to be considered, um, you need to know them in advance and try to tell them how, like try to sell them, not sell them, but like, uh, share them your vision and be a cool person and probably they, they would want to work with you. Nice. How do you identify a good business partner? Do you have any partners? I don't have a partner. Uh, I'm a sole founder. Uh, but in general, when I think of partnerships and working with someone, I try to think about incentives and like what this person is trying to achieve. And Basically, I, I want to make sure that we have we're moving in the same direction um, because otherwise it's not going to work. Like everybody has their own priorities, and if it's not uh, if it's not aligned, then nobody's going to win. Nice. What is one of your proudest moments? So, in business, I. I'm really proud of what I built so young, uh, but it manifested in a single moment where I got the honor to be on the, the cover of Forbes Bulgaria last year. And I was the youngest 
business person to be on that cover and it's all it's all hype and stuff uh but to me before that i never got any recognition for what i was doing and uh to to put myself next to all the people i i I look at and i'm astonished by that was really proud moment um that's one thing the other thing was when i climbed the mount of uh top of mount kilimanjaro that was really nice and uh i finished the marathon being overweight before that so that was also like really really proud moment for me as well wow those are three incredible things there what's one interesting fact about you that not many people might know Hmm. Well, I'm very consistent in what I do. I never overwork, uh, but I, I don't, I don't underwork. So I think of my work as a marathon. So no matter if we are all time high in revenue or like the, the darkest moments, I go to work in the morning. I go home in the evening. I do my same thing, and I and I know that the results. Are like up and down but the effort is is always consistent what daily routines do you have whether morning or evening that have helped make you more successful so basically i split my day in three or four parts um when i wake up in the morning i try to this is my most productive time so i try to do more deep work and try to solve problems and design and this kind of stuff then I try to work out every day in the in the afternoon in like before lunch. Um, this is the best antidepressant that I, I faced, and it's it's really changed my life. And then after that, I go back to the office. I work a bit more, maybe do some lower uh, brain intensive uh, tasks, and then in the evening I try to socialize and spend time with my loved ones. Beautiful. I love that. I love how you break up the, the day like that. I, I also work out in the middle of the day as well. And actually there's a lot of people that like they do it first thing. I think that's probably more common, but, um, but certainly, um, you know, like you, I, yeah, I found that the, the middle of the day seems to be the time. And like you said, like you can, you come back in in the afternoon, like with more energy as a result and, 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 and you can take on the, the, the afternoon, um, like that. So I'm with you there, brother. Um, what book or books changed your mindset or life? So um, a couple, it depends on your on, on your life situation, uh, but for sure the Robert Kiyosaki books that I reached that poor that really changed my life when I was a teenager because I, I'm working class, so I never understood the concepts of money. And uh, more recently, I think um, there's a uh, there's a book called Profit First. That really changed my perspective on on business, and this is what enabled me to to actually make pretty good uh, money out of my business, uh, where most of the industry is just growing, uh, trying to grow and burn all the money they can. Um, and yeah, there's there's a lot of other great books. This is top two that come to mind. Nice. What's the most exciting question you spend your time thinking about? Well, I think a lot. I think for me is how I can really get everybody to, to do themselves, right? Uh, but I reflect on a lot of things. I reflect on my life a lot. And every time I see something that 
I don't like or I like, I try to think about it and understand it and break it apart. Why is it, I mean, let's follow up on that. Why do you think, I mean, so why is it so hard to convince people to to add ups, upsells to their checkout flow? I mean, like what, what is the, the sort of psychology going on there when, um, as, as we've already said, you know, it's it's free money? Well, it's not about the plugin. It's a business mechanic. It's about changing your business around upselling. And if you look at the greatest companies in all spaces, they are built around upsells. If you look at Amazon, they do, they report 35% of their revenue from upselling, or at least that's what the internet says, uh, some reports. <laughs> if you look at airlines or credit card companies or everywhere, like it's a totally different way of thinking. It's like getting the customer hooked and then nitpicking uh, it. So the reason why it's hard is because I need to, we need to change the thinking from how can I spend more on ads or how can I have a better product to how can I design a product line that would work well and it would get people who to buy something and then it would be a great upsetting. And then it's gonna have a great lifetime value as well. Like it's not only upsetting, uh, but this is one of the components that I've seen works really well. And this is kind of my way of helping entrepreneurs to, to, to scale. Um, so that's my part. Nice. What advice would you give your younger self? So the biggest advice would be to just keep swimming, like Dory said on Nemo. Well, everything I, I faced, it's, it goes away. And it's, as long as the direction is good, you just need to keep swimming. And probably if there's guys in school, like listening in school, you're, you're there. Like it's, you're losing your time if you're not listening. Uh, but that's it. Nice. What was your biggest challenge starting in business and how did you overcome it? So my biggest challenges were always uh, things I've said to myself. Um, so there's, I wouldn't say in business, but in my career, uh, first time I thought I would never be able to make uh, web design because I heard somewhere that you need to be good at arts to make web design and I can't draw. So Everybody, like, I thought it's impossible, right? And But I was making good design, and I was actually making some of the best design from the guys I, I knew. So I decided, okay, maybe I can I can do that. And then the other thing was, I thought I cannot code, uh, because uh, I heard, again, from somewhere that good designers don't code, and good coders don't design, because you can't do well, both well. And I... I thought I can't do it, but it, it was interesting to me. So I decided to start doing it for fun, even though I know I can't code, right? And it actually started, like it worked, like check out X processed 600 million. Uh, and of course the team helped, but the, like it works, you can do everything. And the biggest barriers, biggest challenges is the one you tell yourself what cannot happen. It's that, it's that internal voice that, that that's um, limiting your achievements and actually overcoming that was uh, was part of the secret there of, 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 you know, hitting those new heights of success. Nice. Now, I have experienced some of the foods in, in Sofia, but um, I am curious, what unusual or underrated food or drink should more people try out? 
Well, I promised because I listened to the previous podcast and you were going to ask me this question. Bulgarian food. You guys should try Bulgarian food. Uh, definitely. Which That's... ones? Which which dishes in particular? Well, oh, wow. so yogurt, definitely. Uh, yogurt, Bulgarian cheese. Uh, you should try it. You should come here and just have the full experience. Come here, go to Kirchma and just ask the waiter to give you give you the best Bulgarian experience, and uh, you'll see. I remember having something which was a little bit like a donut. It was a little bit like a donut, but it was like flatter, so like a sort of pancake donut, and it had um, basically similar, very similar to like feta cheese on it. It was a it was a breakfast meal and apparently it's like a real sort of hearty traditional uh breakfast uh, meal um that goes that goes way back what, which what was part? i forgot yeah i've forgotten which, the name uh, of it it really depends on the region i can't think of it right now but it depends on which mountain you go you you have different uh different food on that so well, this so. was in sofia i believe this was in the in the city like one of the um one of the spots in there, but yeah, it was absolutely delicious. I put on, I think I put on a few, a few pounds during that trip, but uh, it was, it was worth it to just try out everything. It was, um, it was absolutely fantastic. And then we got the final question as well. What makes you happiest? Balance. It's, it's about like, I personally think in a couple of areas, but basically in order for you to be really happy, you need to have a balanced life. So you need to have challenging work. You need to obviously make money to have comforts, uh, but you also need to be healthy and you need to have people around you and to have fun. So what really works for me is to just have a balanced life and um, what I, every day is, is happy for me, no matter, uh, what some area might work or not work fantastic balance and it is it, yeah i couldn't agree with you more it's um we we started doing this thing a couple of years ago where um we call it uh, i say we it's like me and my wife right so um you know work and life is is connected and we do this thing called a scorecard check-in and uh, once a week, we have seven seven areas of our life. So you know, there's health and wellness, and and uh, career, and um, family, and relationships, and um, adventure. Um, the seven categories. And we at the beginning of the year, we we um, look back on the last year and we look forward to the year um, coming up. And we we put down um, measurable sort of sub points in each category that we're working towards. And then once a week we rate ourselves out of five on how well we've done in each category in, in progressing towards those things in our list. And then you tot up all of the, the you know, all of the sum up all of the, the, the um, columns, these seven columns, and you've got like an, an average score there in, in your life. And, and you can be absolutely crushing. Like you can get a five out of five, maybe on your money, but if you're, family it's, it's a weird thing but perhaps if your family or your relationships is just a one out of five because you've sacrificed it that week when you're like looking internally at your happiness you're like actually i don't feel so good because my wife's giving me a lot of shit because i've not been speaking to her this week or something and actually it's when you're it's more often than not when you when you've got a sort of 
maybe a three across the board, three out of five, but across all of them, that actually uh, that is that balance and actually uh, the happiness uh, benefits as a result. So I couldn't agree with you uh, more on that one, Roslan. And uh, a fantastic answer to top off the answer round. It's been a tremendously interesting and fun experience today, Roslan, hearing about your, your tremendous experience with uh, upsells and, and the psychology behind it, your mission to bring upsells to the people, helping e-commerce buy Lambos and 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 giving them the, the the means and the technology to do it. You're a fascinating human, and I'm so grateful that you spent the time with us on the show today. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it, and I loved uh, talking to you. I just want to say about the all the scorecards and stuff for the people like me who like this is too much. I'm more disorganized. I just think about like a half couple of things that I want to spend time on on a weekly basis. And I just have like literally five lines. This is my whole routine. So you can, you don't have to be crazy with scores <laughs> to, to think about balance. Right. Uh, but yeah, like, thanks a lot for, for having me in the show. I appreciate it, man. Thanks once again. Take care. Hey there, you incredibly good-looking human. Thanks so much for listening. If you had a good time today and would like more good times in the future, please hit that subscribe button and leave a heartwarming review. I read them all and it will go a long way to help others out there benefit from all the teachings of this show. And if you want to get in touch or otherwise learn more about me, head to martincook.co.uk or smarterdestiny.com. I really appreciate you. You're an incredible human. Until next time, keep crushing.